Howdy! Before we begin today, a quick note from the Corrections Department. We received a great email this week from Jeffrey Fields, who said, quote, A little annoyed from your Phi Slamma Jamma show. As an alumnus of that, quote, little school, and a huge fan of Don Haskins, I have to point out that we did win the NCAA tournament, the only Texas college ever to do so. So, we want to say that... Uh, Texas Western Miners, definitely worth uh, a shout-out. So we'll definitely add the Texas Miners to our to-do list. Thanks for listening, Jeffrey. Please send your comments in to let us know how you feel about any of the shows. And we appreciate all of your wonderful listening. And without further ado, here's the show. Golf clap for, for your performance, Sean. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In 1924, George Saunders, the president of the Cattle Drivers Association, published a two-volume book compiling first-hand stories from experienced trail drivers and their life on the plains. For those familiar with the podcast, the names and places referenced may sound quite familiar. So, in a different kind of episode, we're presenting three tales of Texas trail drivers in their own words. But first, what's your favorite indigenous Texas snake? I'll jump in first and say that I like the Texas rat snake, because my fifth grade science teacher had a uh, big um, terrarium with a couple of them. And so if you would... Uh, done a good job you got to play with the snakes seriously she had okay. all and, and, she wow, had all kinds it. of animals she had all kinds of animals so like she like if you were if you that was like a, a reward in school is you got to get they had she had hamsters and she had gerbils and she had all kinds of flora and fauna but she had snakes and those were the cool things to get to, to and, play with and i assume assume if you were bad you got to play with the uh <laughs> the, the poisonous the, snakes the poisonous ones yeah you got you got the rattlesnake so for those of you who are not from Texas, small town Texas schools in the 1980s. <laughs> hey, who doesn't <laughs> want to play with the snake? Yeah. Well, uh, I don't have, I guess we could say favorite in the sense of the thing I'm most terrified of. Um, I'm going to go with the deadly water moccasin, which is the most aggressive and poisonous snake in Texas and well, pretty much anywhere else. Well, that that that, that may be true. Yeah. Um, but I... Um, almost randomly, I'm going to say that my favorite Texas snake at the moment is Shot's Whip Snake. Ooh. Uh, mostly because of how it looks. It's a non venomous snake, but uh, it, it starts out with kind of a gray color that's striped uh, lengthwise down its body with a white underbelly, but then when it gets to the tail, comes around and it gets skinnier and skinnier and its tail turns pink and I actually had to look at this photo several times to make sure that that wasn't an actual uh, bullwhip wrapped up with the snake. That's um, cool. But you can find more about Texas snakes at texassnakes.net. Um, they give snakes the respect they deserve and you should too. So go check them out. A word of warning. Um, we are reading verbatim from the personal accounts of these Texas trail drivers, and you may hear some direct language from real people born two centuries ago. Uh, some of the terms, uh, particularly referencing Native Americans and Tejanos, is anachronistic and uh, possibly 
likely offensive in today's day and age. But uh, we're all about history here, so we're presenting it as is. Our first story, Buried a Cowboy in a Lonely Grave on the Prairie, by Alfred Iverson Moy from Kennedy, Texas. I was born in Georgia and reared in Texas, my father settling in Tyler County. In December 1870, I went to Helena, and while I was there, a young man named Silvers was killed by the sheriff. M.J. Bean was collector for the stockmen, and I went with him on one of his trips. As we crossed the Frio River, we saw a number of people congregating at a little house and learned from them that the Indians had the day before murdered the Stringfield family. The oldest girl was later found by Mexicans, and she is now living in San Antonio. Two little boys, aged four and six years respectively, were taken away by the Indians, and the oldest of the two was found dead by the roadside with his head split open, but the other was never heard from. The following spring I hired to an outfit to go to Kansas with a herd which we received in the mountains, about 50 miles above Uvalde. While we were herding the cattle in the valley, Indians would appear on the mountains and bow to us and make signs which we did not understand. I went out one day to hunt for a bunch of our horses and found a bunch of Indians instead. They took after me, but I outran them back to camp. I guess my eyes were out of fix, for it seemed to me that there were about a hundred redskins in the band, but investigation later proved that there were only about fifteen. Ten men of our outfit went back over the ground and found three arrows they had shot at me while in the race. About the last of March, we got a herd of fifteen hundred beeves road-branded, and starting with them, we soon reached the Red River, which we crossed at Red River Station into the Indian Territory. The territory at that time was unsettled, nothing there except buffalo, Indians, and fugitives from other states. These men would steal and rob and lay it on the Indians, so we had to guard our horses every night to prevent them from being stolen. One night, a Mexican boy and myself were on guard, and the Mexican struck a match to light a cigarette and as he did so, somebody shot at us three times in quick succession, and when we returned fire, the boys at camp rushed out to our assistance. The scheme was to scare us away from our horses so they could get them. At Abilene, Kansas, we found a wide-open town. Ben Thompson and Hill Co. were running the noted Bullhead Saloon, and Wild Bill Hickok was city marshal. There I met up with John Wesley Harden, Buffalo Bill Thompson, Manny Clements, and Gip Clements, and we went over to the gambling house. It did not take the gamblers there long to relieve me of all the money I possessed. While Bill Hickok told me that the best way to beat the game was to let it alone. I took his advice and have been beating the game ever since. Coe was later killed by Wild Bill and Thompson afterwards closed the bullhead and returned to Austin. The next year I went up the trail with the same firm, Choate and Minute. We received the cattle on the Nueces River with John Henry Choate in charge of the herd. When we reached Red River at Red River Station, we had to swim across. I was riding a two-by-four Spanish pony, and before I got across, I had to slip off his back and grasp him by the tail to get to the other side. We had a severe storm after we left Red River, and a number of our men were shocked by lightning. We drove our herd to Great Bend, Kansas, on the Arkansas River. This is now one of the finest wheat belts in the world. The next year, I went with W.G. Butler to Ogallala. My oldest brother Andy Moy was on this trip with us and got into trouble at Ogallala that caused us to leave in somewhat of a hurry. I went up the trail next year and it seemed that we had more storms than usual. When we reached the Cimarron River in the territory, it was bankful and we had to stay there several days before we could cross. While we were there, two tramps came along who said they were going to swim the river. We tried to talk them out of the foolish undertaking, but they plunged in, and when halfway across, they began yelling for us to come and help them, but we could not get to them, and they both drowned. 
On Smoky River, in the northwestern part of Kansas, myself and other cowboys were hunting stampeded beeves one day and found the corpse of a cowboy who had come to his death in some manner unknown to us. We decided to bury him there, so we dug a hole and rolled him into it, with but little burial ceremony. One of our crowd was a good singer and sang the old cowboy song that all of the old boys are familiar with, which runs something like this. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie, where the coyotes may howl over me, and dig my grave just six by three, but bury me not on the lone prairie. Yes, bury me under an evergreen tree, where the little birds may sing over me, and dig my grave just six by three, but bury me not on the lone prairie. Our hearts were sad when we left that poor unknown boy out there under the sod of that lonely prairie, many miles from a habitation. Some mother's boy who went away never to return, some husband or father perhaps, who went out into that wild country and lost his life there. Nearly all of my old cowboy chums of fifty years ago have passed over the trail to that home beyond the grave. A few are left here sore-footed and dragging, but still full of life. Among those who are still in the land of the living, I will mention one for whom I have always had the highest regard and esteem, and that is P.B. Butler, who lives at Kennedy, Texas. He was always found honest and square in all of his dealings, true to his friends, and one of the best stockmen in all of southwest Texas. P.B. Butler will leave behind him a good name as a heritage to his posterity and an example for oncoming generations to follow. A few more of the old boys are still living near me, Monroe Hinton, Hiram Reynolds, and Dick Smith being among them. Tom Edwards passed away just a short time ago. When I see my old comrades in town bent with a weight of three score and ten, I am reminded that my time to quit the walks of men is fast approaching. Just a few more years at best, and we will all join the silent majority. Well, I gotta say, Mr. Moy was quite a poet. Yeah. Had a, had a way <laughs> with words there. Yeah, very um, eloquent. Find it interesting that he mentions uh, people that we've talked about before, specifically John Wesley Harden, yeah. that he says he met up with and went gambling with. <laughs> we all we all know how his story ended up. Yeah, we did Harden. We've also talked about uh, uh, the Butlers uh, back in uh, in our um, Fractus Dailyville episode, and uh, this is really an interesting. You know, it's one of those funny things. It's it's where my. Um, my mom and my aunt and my uncle all grew up in Kennedy, and it's like you can look at a map and draw a little circle around it, and a lot of interesting Texas history all happened just within a few miles of the, of the farm where they grew up on. Now, which which one of these butlers is the one that cursed Dailyville? That was W.G., Sean. He's okay. the one that we told yep. the story about in that one. Now, P.B. Butler is his brother and is a, an interesting okay. fellow in and of himself. And and at that time, it was actually interesting. I, I sent, a, sent the story to my... Um, to my mom, my aunt, my uncle, and uh, my uncle actually sent back a note that he can remember when Kennedy, when he was a boy, Kennedy, there were still some of the saloons were still sort of in town, and that the there was there was some moys in town, and of course, you know, Butler and Choate, there were still plenty of the families are still around. So a lot of these names and things are not, they're not pieces of history that are beyond our grasp, even though if this is such a long time ago. Yeah. Yep. I mean that's a that's a pretty hard crew to run with is you know to, <laughs> I played to be, cards with John Wesley Harden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Met up with John Wesley Harden. You worked for W.G. Butler and John Henry Choate. Bill Hickok gave you advice on gambling. I mean, talk about a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you read the story of these old timers and they're like, you know, back in the good old days, and you're like yeah, I've yeah. read these stories. I don't think of them as the good old days that much, but uh <laughs> These are rough old days. Yeah. yeah. Hard times. Yeah.
So now we're going to move on to another story. Uh, this one's titled Mistaken for Cole Younger and Arrested. And this is written by S.A. Hickok from Carn City, Texas. I was born at Columbus, Ohio, December 8, 1842, and moved to Mattoon, Illinois, when I was about 24 years old, and engaged in buying chickens, turkeys, ducks, and geese, and shipping them by carload to New Orleans, Louisiana. When I would go to New Orleans with my shipment of poultry, I heard a great deal about Texas and the money that was to be made in sending cattle up the trail, so I decided to move to Texas. I met a man by the name of Couch who was making up a party to go on an excursion train to Dallas, Texas, and made arrangements to meet him in St. Louis and join the excursion party there. My brother accompanied me to St. Louis, and a short while after our arrival, we passed a man on the street, and he said, Hello, Younger. I told him he was mistaken, that my name was not Younger. He asked me if I was not from Marshall, Missouri, and I told him that I was not. We went to a cheap boarding house and made arrangements to stay all night. We went to the Southern Hotel that night to see if Couch had arrived. While we were there, a man came in and asked me if I was from Marshall County, and I replied, No, I have been asked that question twice today. He then called me aside and asked me several questions, and just then motioned a policeman to come near. They asked me if I was armed, and I told them it was none of their business, but as they insisted on searching me, I told them to proceed, but be sure they had the proper authority for that action. They found a small six-shooter, a draft for $1,000, and about $100 cash on me, and the policeman said he would have to take me down to the police station. When we arrived there, I learned that they thought they had Cole Younger, one of the Jesse James Desperados. I told them to telegraph the First National Bank of Mattoon, Illinois, and they could get all the information they needed to establish my identity. But they locked me up in a cell and kept me there overnight. Next day, they released me and returned my pistol and money to me. I reached Dallas in the spring of 1875 and went to Fort Worth, which was then a small place. My brother and I purchased a pair of Mexican ponies, a new wagon, and camping outfit and started for San Antonio. Near Burnett, we met a man who had a ranch and some sheep in Bandera County, and we went with him and bought 600 head of sheep, thus embarking in the sheep business, doing our own herding, shearing, cooking, and washing. We had hard sledding for a long time, but finally achieved success. We moved our herd from Bandera County to the southeast corner of Atascosa County, near the line of Live Oak and Carnes Counties, where I located a ranch of 15,000 acres in 1877 or 1878. There I engaged in sheep raising for several years, finally selling out and buying horses and cattle. I went to the border on the Rio Grande and bought many horses and mares and drove them to Kansas. The next year, I went over into Mexico and bought several hundred horses, which I kept on the ranch for about a year, and then shipped them and many more which I had bought at different times to Ohio, New York, Nebraska, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi. So so you never actually herded cattle? No. <laughs> he had every intention of being a trail driver. Yeah, good intention. <laughs> and then he got and he arrested. Really, like, he got arrested, then he got like, sheep might be a less dangerous business. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think this story is actually remarkable and it's, you know, how mundane it is, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like we, re- we read the, the previous story where, you know, talking to meeting up with John Wesley Harden and Bill Hickok and stuff. And uh, here's just a guy that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm just moving around trying to, to find my way in life and didn't really write about anything remarkable. Other, you know, being mistaken for an outlaw. Yeah, he hasn't well. been. 
Yeah. Yes, I, <laughs> but I think I mean, we can just, all you know, relate most, to that experience. Yeah, but I mean, just most of this account, like I said, is just, you know, it's like day-to-day life, and it's just like, hey, this is the, the life of a regular, um, you know, rancher trying to make his way. Hard sledding. Hard yeah. sledding. Yeah, a lot of, lot of good uh, contemporary uh, expressions in here. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, it sounds like a great opening to a movie, though, to me. It's like, I met a man named Couch. <laughs> But it's it's also that great Texas story of, you know, starting with nothing and reinventing yourself. Yeah, Texas is the place to reinvent yourself. You know, I was selling chickens in New Orleans, uh, and then I said, I want to go do cat. I want to go herd cattle in Texas, and make yep. some money there. And then I get there, and now I'm doing decide sheep. to get into sheep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like me and my brother bought some horses and some camping gear yeah. and ran into this guy that had some sheep and said, hey, let's go buy some sheep. And now we're sheep ranchers. So why not? Yeah. And that's the great thing about Texas in that time is that you really could come in with $100 and, you know, for the $1,100 in your pocket and and start from basically nothing. Yeah. And you end up with a 15,000 yeah. acre I mean, ranch. I mean, 15,000 acre ranch is a lot of acres. Yeah. yeah. Good. Very cool. Good on you, Mr. Hickok. Yeah. No relation, I'm sure. No relation. Now we're going to go back to a little bit more of a famous person, someone we talked about quite a bit in the previous episodes. And this is a story uh, from Charles Goodnight. And he was writing late in his life from Goodnight, Texas. I did not look at a trail as being an honor or a dishonor to anyone, but I see no reason why they should be named for people who did not make them. The first volume of this book is given an article by Fred Sutton of Oklahoma City, in which appears this statement. This trail was started in 1868 by John Chisholm, who drove the first bunch of cows from San Antonio to Abilene, Kansas, and for whom the trail was named. Now the facts are, John Chisholm followed the Goodnight Loving Trail up the Pecos in 1866, reaching Bosque Grande on the Pecos on about December, wintering right below Bosque Grande with 600 Jingle Bob steers. We wintered about eight miles apart. In the spring of 1867, he disposed of those steers to government contractors and returned to his Colorado and Cancho ranch and began moving his cattle west. In 1860, I formed a partnership with him on the following basis. He was to deliver to me all cattle he could handle at Bosque Grande on the Pecos River, I allowing him $1 per head profit over Texas prices for his risk. During this contract or agreement, he lost two herds to the Indians. I handled the rest of his drives from Bosque Grande West, disposing of them in Colorado and Wyoming. This continued for three years, and I divided profits equally with him. These profits enabled him to buy 60,000 head he once held on the Pecos. Chisholm never drove a herd north, and he never claimed to have done so. He did drive two herds to Little Rock at the end of the Civil War, less than a thousand steers in all. John McCoy conceived the idea of the Texas cattle trades going to Abilene and sent scouts down to meet the herds and drive them through the country after they passed Red River at the place known as the Red River Crossing. Chisholm moved the herds before spoken of en route to Little Rock by what was well known as the Colbert Crossing, following the old U.S. road the entire distance. In conversation with me, he said one Chisholm, in no way related to him, did pilot 600 steers from the Texas frontier to Old Fort Cobb, and he presumed that this was the origin of the name of the trail, although no trail was open. Chisholm was a good trail man and the best counter I've ever known. 
He was the only man I have ever seen who could count three grades as accurately as they went by. He was the only man I have ever seen who could count three grades accurately as they went by. I have seen him do this many times. I estimated that he delivered to me 15 or 16,000 cattle in the three years mentioned. I drove the last of his cattle in 1875, being two herds of big steers, and I took them over what is known as the New Goodnight Trail, leaving Pecos River above Old Fort Sumter to Granada, Colorado. I think W.J. Wilson, known as One-Armed Bill Wilson, may remember Chisholm's reaching the Pecos in the winter of 1866. As I remember it, he had passed up the Colorado in 1866 with Mr. Loving with the stock cattle for our first drive. And he and Mr. Loving met me at Bosque Grandy on the Pecos, I think, February 1867. As above stated, I positively know no trail north was made by Chisholm, but the first herd driven north out of northwest Texas was driven in 1858 by Oliver Loving, leaving Palapinto and Jack Counties, thence north to Red River, crossing Red River in the neighborhood of the Red River Crossing, and striking the Arkansas River near Old Fort Zara, then up the Arkansas just above where Pueblo now stands. There he wintered the herd. In 1859, spring, he moved them to the Platte River near Denver and peddled them out. He remained there until the Civil War broke out and had much difficulty getting back home. But through the assistance of Maxwell, Kit Carson, and Dick Wooten, he was given a passport and afterward delivered beef to the Confederacy during the war, which completely broke him up. He joined me in 1866 on the Western Trail and followed until his death. Part of these facts were given to me by Mr. Loving himself. Well, that wraps things up today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps things up today, folks. <laughs> no. Loving himself. Yeah. 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 He's setting the record straight, Dad Gummit. Yeah. Dad yeah. Gummit, let me tell you what. Just he, because they name a trail after a man, a man yeah. should have ridden that trail. Right. <laughs> and it ain't right. It ain't right to attribute to nothing. There's nothing wrong with Trism. He's a good feller, and he could count in three different grades. Well, I tried. <laughs> well, I tried to figure out like um, one in my head when I when I saw this in the book. I tried to picture it, either Tommy Lee Jones, you know, or uh, you know, just basically any kind of good Western actor delivering this, you know, angry old yeah. man speech. Um, yeah, it, counting grades is the is the. Uh, the fatness of the cattle and the grade of the yes. cattle. Yeah. So, but he could do it three at a time as as the herd ran past. So that's that's some pretty good mental math. That's it, some good figuring. Plus a good hat tip. I mean, if you know, if Charles Goodnight tells you you're good at something involving cattle, <laughs> you're, you're pretty damn good at it. Basically, he's saying like the he's once again defending his best friend. <laughs> he's saying, look. This writer in Oklahoma City doesn't know what he's talking about. Oliver Loving was the first person to drive cattle north, not anybody named Chisholm. We really enjoyed the heck out of when we did our um, Good Night and Loving episode. I mean, that was really an eye-opener of a story, uh, all the little details of, of those guys and their crazy lives. And, I mean, that's really what the heart of these, these early trail drivers and Texans are to me. So, yeah, this this story is really, I mean, it jumps around in a timeline, but he's trying to set the record straight as this is what life was like back then. You know, we did these things in these years, and these are the people that did these things. 
uh, I think it is pretty remarkable the the some of the names being mentioned. Oliver Loving Chisholm was a famous Texan, um, but mentioning Kit Carson and Dick Wooten, that's <laughs> that's pretty interesting in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, just before the Civil War. Yeah, this was a this was kind of just a fun one, but uh, um, you know, golf clap for for your performance, Sean. <laughs> Six hundred jingle bob steers. <laughs> My God. <laughs> well, he was a character, and, and certainly he did not let up when he when he wrote um, or when he spoke and people asked him questions. Well, you know, Charles Goodnight, I mean, he was born in, in 1836. He died just a couple years after this interview, um, and, and he, he held on a very long time. So he was, he was definitely at the beginning of the uh, Texas Cattle Drives. Now these guys are characters. They're um, they're just characters of Texas, and but boy, just to hear things in their own voice is really interesting uh, to me, and to hear these sort of stories. So hopefully, I think we can can do another chapter of this another time, and, and bring you share some of these uh, stories in their own words uh, when we find interesting historical sources like this. I look forward to uh, picking some more of these out and doing this again in the future. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love our crazy stories of Texas and these wonderful tales of history. So here's what you need to do. Get out there and tell your friends. Get them to subscribe. And make sure you and your friends leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. Be a true fan. And while you're at it, be a true fan. Now, I don't like that. Uh, I wrote that, but I don't like it now. Um, And while you're at it, you can support our show financially if you would like to. Please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come and take a Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.